Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Um, in fact, just it's one scripture, so read it with me. Ready? Begin. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Man, there is a there's a, 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 a procession there, an order that I think we just miss when we read right over. First of all, it says, who for the joy that was set before him. Everybody say the joy set before him. He endured. Okay, that's two steps right there. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. That's kind of lumped in there in discipline and has set down at the right hand of God. That's reward. Father, let the word do what it's capable of doing tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Come on, high five three people before you're seated. Count them and say, God is going to touch you tonight. And for those of you who are expecting me to say that, then say, oh yes, and by the way, you do look amazing tonight. <laughs> so we have been talking about... Um, Boy, it feels good in here tonight, doesn't it? Good to see all of you tonight here. Uh, we've had a day of nasty weather. Some are calling it that. I love the cold weather. And I love rain. And I don't need prayer, at least not in that area. I'm not sick. I'm not demented or twisted. I love cold rain. So I'm, I'm happy today. Uh, so, so we've been talking about, you know, we're, we, we know the theme of this house, the word of the Lord. It's, it's greater than just the theme. The word of the Lord to us is that this is the year we are going vertical. I appreciate what, what Tony Suarez said Sunday. And that was that, you know, because God does things like that line upon line, precept upon precept here, a little, there, a little, everything kind of layers on top of the other. He came along and he talked about, we're in the season where it's now which we just talked about that last Wednesday. We ended the service with that. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going vertical now. Not, I hope to be going vertical by the end of 2020. We're going vertical now. You say, well, shouldn't I wait for, you know, to actually see the fruit of going vertical before I make such a bold, audacious declaration? No, if you wait, you'll never see that. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So we declare that we are going vertical now. That means every area of our life is elevating and it's doing it quickly and is doing it right now. Come on, somebody. We talked about John getting on the Isle of Potmos by himself in an isolated, unfair, punishable condition, um, banished and abandoned for something that he just did right preach the gospel and believe in Jesus. And, but he heard in the lowest point of his life, he heard the voice. The voice said, come up higher so I can show you some things that you need to know. We talked about Saul. We talked about King Saul. We talked about Saul that came, became Saul the apostle. We talked about Mary. We talked about people in scripture, all through scripture, that you, you know there are things that you can do that have a payday. 
If you do A, B, C, and there's nothing wrong with that because oftentimes in God's word, he would preface a promise by saying that. If you hearken unto me, if you do A, B, C, I will do thus, right? So there are things that we do that have a predictable outcome. And we do those things with great confidence because we know up front of the outcome it will produce. Right? But then there's those times where God shows up and just blast your life in an upward movement and gives you something, takes you to a place, gives you an encounter that you did not earn, you don't deserve, you weren't looking for it, you weren't even asking for it. Just God in his providence shows up and said, you didn't know anything about this, but watch this. Boom, and you wake up, one day you were wiping you know skin off and having just come from a pot burning boiling oil and you're lonely and feeling rejected and abandoned the next moment you're seated in the heavens listening to Jesus tell you the secrets of the future and mysteries of the ages revealed come on somebody that's awesome so, so the truth is this we, we, we've been planted in a house and you ought to be grateful I don't know about you I am Grateful that you are planted in a house where prophetic encounters, uh, the theme of this house, divine moments, because that's what we've been talking about up to this point. We've been talking about those accelerated or vertical moments, the moments that God comes and invites you to go a lot faster than you're capable of, to to, to experience something you didn't earn, you, you can't deserve it, and you weren't even asking for it. You're planted in a house where that's a given. I don't mean to suggest that in a flippant way. I just mean this. If, 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 you, are, if you are committed here and, and you have planted yourself in this house, bringing yourself into, a, into covenant with the house, if you will, it's just a matter of time. You're going to have a prophetic moment. You're going to have a, a divine invitation moment. You're going to have opportunities to step in where one moment you're on this level and the next moment you're like 10 levels ahead. How did that happen? Don't question it. Just enjoy it. That's a given. What I think we have to consider is this. We have to consider the level of self-discipline that that revelation should produce in our lives. The Bible said where there is no vision, the people will perish. That's not, that does not mean the people will die if you don't have a vision. That could happen, but that's not what that scripture is referring to. What it says is if you don't have vision, the word used there translated in the King James as will perish simply means you will cast off restraint. Which means if you don't have vision, you will live sloppy and lazy and void of discipline. Yes, that's right. So if you're, if you're unclear, if, you're, if, you're, if, if what your purpose and your vision for life is, is very fuzzy and unclear, it will equate to sloppy living. Yes, it is. Yeah. Right? So, so conversely then... When you know where you're going and you know what you're called to do and you know what God's trying to do with your life, you may not understand everything from A to Z, everything all the way through, but you at least have a clear sense of where you are going and what your purpose in God is. The result of that is discipline. Right? 
we got to talk about discipline and how it works in two ways in our lives. Again, you can't make the, how, if you are Mary, you can't make a moment happen where Gabriel, the angel shows up and gives you that kind of profound word. Y'all with me? You can't make a moment happen like Saul on a horse with letters to persecute the Christians and, and, and all of a sudden a voice from heaven and a light blinds you, knocks you off your horse and changes your life forever. You can't make those moments happen. But if you live a disciplined life, there's two things that will happen. One, you can position yourself to best receive and capture these moments when they happen. Number two, you can, you can be equipped to sustain the vertical gains that happen as a result of these moments. Does that make sense? Listen, God will do amazing things for your life, but it's like this. It's like uh, 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 years ago, uh, no, not that long ago, but a few years ago, I read the statistics, and this was just in California where we were pastoring at the time. And the statistics were, it said in the last 20 years, 82% of all the state lottery winners in California were absolutely broke in 48 months. Right? Because you can, you know, you can get the scratcher. You can get the right numbers by it's luck. You can, you can win the lottery. But if you don't have the discipline relating to money management and investment and restraint... I mean, the worst thing you could do is give a poor person who thinks poor a million dollars. They're going to squander it because the mindset will keep you. It's like water seeking its boundaries and its level. It will keep you at that level. And so you can have God do amazing things for you, but not have developed the habits of discipline in your life to sustain and have any kind of longevity to the amazing things that God does. Right? You can, <laughs> you, can have, you can have these amazingly annoying habits and patterns in your life. Can I be extreme? And God sends you Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful. And you have so many gross habits in your life. Not you, people in... I don't even know where. I'm not going to incriminate anybody. No, no, that's not said. Somebody said Alabama. Come on, I got family in Alabama. <laughs> people somewhere else, right? That you can have these terrible habits that just gross people out. And God can give you Mr. Wonderful or Miss, Mrs. Wonderful. And you can drive them away. Because you don't have the habits and the patterns and the disciplines to sustain the gifts that God gives you. That's an extreme case, but how many of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about? Everybody that's lost a spouse, you know, had a divorce, whatever, you're just like sitting there instantly condemned. What in the world did I do? I'm not talking about you or to you. I'm talking to the person next to you. Kidding. So, so we have to talk about discipline because this verse we read, listen to what it says. It says, looking unto Jesus. In other words, Jesus is our example. There was nobody more disciplined than Jesus because the perfect, the most pure illustration of self-discipline is the absolute perfection of balance between power and restraint. When you could call 10,000 angels from heaven to relieve you of the pain for now, 
but you would mess up the plan for longer. Right? Because discipline is, is the difference. I'm getting ahead of myself. It says Jesus, our example, we look to him, the author and finish of our faith. In other words, everything about our faith, it starts with Jesus, ends with Jesus. And it tells us some, the way he lived. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Despising shame. That is such a mouthful right there. Because here's what it sets up already. Number one, the clarity of Jesus' purpose as the son of God gave him the power and the discipline to endure devastating adversity and put up with stuff that he had the power to snap his fingers and create a fireball that would just zap the people being stupid to him. Power to solve the situation, to solve the problem, but the restraint, knowing that uh, I got to endure a little bit of pain and suffering and be despised and shamed for now because uh, this will redeem many sons back to God. And then it gives us the reward. There's always discipline, there's always a reward for discipline. Are you with me? That was a little weak, but let me see if I can win a couple of you, a few more before we get finished with this. Not like this guy. You don't want to be this guy. He said, if laziness were an Olympic sport, I want to finish fourth so I don't have to climb the medals podium. That's the way visionless people live. Just so lazy, so sloppy in their life. Discipline is the ability to choose between what we want now and what we want most. The second thing that it is, it is, it's, it's composure. It's the presence of mind. It's cool headedness. It's patience. It's self possession and restraint. People who demonstrate the fruit of self control are productive, dependable, and influential people. Paul the apostle was an extremely disciplined man. Whatever he did, he did. Uh, you know, we have a saying in our house, it was way back from fighting days, this was the way we said it. We said, if you're gonna be a bear, be a grizzly. Because anything else is just another bear. In other words, if you're gonna do anything, then get out, do it right, do it big, do it first class, or do not bother getting out of bed, right? Paul was extremely disciplined and he understood the conversion of that and wanted his son Timothy in the gospel, son in the gospel, Timothy to be the same way. And he says to him, he says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, God did not give us the spirit of timidity, but listen, listen to what he encompasses the, 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 the empowerment of Christ in our life. Listen how he summarizes it. He says, but he has given us the spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Of course, Discipline, some of you don't even like that word. It's, it's almost a, 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 a slang swear word, discipline. I just like living for the moment. Easy come, easy go. Happy whistling through the daisy fields. While natural, and this is why, because it doesn't come easy for you. Natural ability To be disciplined may come much easier for some and more natural to some than others. The fact is that we are all complex beings and numerous factors can play into our capacity for self-discipline. Our genetics, 
nature versus nurture. In other words, I think there, there, there's, there's some things that are, we're wired for and there's some things that we learned. There's some areas of my life that I wish I could take credit for, like I'm just so super you know, disciplined in that, but really it's, 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 it's patterns that developed to avoid punishment. Because my, my, mother, my mother was such a clean freak. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I wish there's another way to describe that. Clean freak. <laughs> so my mother, we would, she'd get up early and go to, go to work before we got, went to school. So, so, which also means she would come home from her first job before we got home from school. And then she would leave for her second job. And, and you know, we'd all finally meet up back at, the, at home at like nine or 10 o'clock at night. So and the instructions to me and my sisters were, listen, it's a given. You're going to make your bed. Do not walk out of this house without making that bed. If you, if you leave this house in the morning for school, I don't care if you woke up late. I don't care what you have to get to. I don't care about football practice. I don't care about anything. If you walk out of this house without making that bed, there will be a price to pay. That's for starters. But the standard was higher because my mother, if you made the bed, but the bedspread at the foot of the bed was just touching the floor... And up here at the pillow, it was like that high off the floor. There was a price to pay. You had to pop your hand under the pillow to get all the wrinkles out. You didn't want mom to come home and look in the room and see the bedspread all cockeyed and a big wrinkle down the middle of it. That was as good as you might as well just threw the pillows all over and yanked everything off the bed and just left. <laughs> Say, man, you are sick. Well, that's nurture. Our genetics, nature, nurture, past trauma, various kinds of mental health struggles, many other issues, they all affect us to differing degrees. And God understands how they affect each of us. He knows we don't all have the same capacity for the same level of self-discipline and doesn't hold us all to the same standard or the same expectation. Luke 12, 48, he says, to whom much is given of him, much will be required. But we've got to get away from discipline being directly related to uh, your natural ability to be like super. You say something and you do it. You have a plan and you follow the plan. You make a resolution in January and by December you are still doing it and still carrying on with it. If, if, that is the, if that's the standard, then there's only some in this crowd that will live disciplined lives. And then some will not. But the fact is, is God does have an expectation of us because where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. But where there's vision, people live with discipline. And how many of you would say amen to the fact that God wants you to have vision in your life? To know where you're going, to have a sense of his purpose for your life. Right? So... We talk about several things tonight. Hebrews 12, 2, we just read that. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now seated on the right hand of, of, of the, the throne of God. Because the first principle in self-discipline is this. There is power in the prize. Tell your neighbor, the power is in the prize. It's never easy. 
Listen to what Hebrews 12, 11 says. Same chapter. Now, no chastening. Now, that word chastening in the New King James says chastening. The, the word there is discipline. There is no, now no discipline seems joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline is never fun at the moment. But it's always rewarding down the road. And the very starting point, the nature of discipline is to forego what you want now to obtain what you want most. Discipline does not come from admiring self-discipline. It doesn't come because you wish you were more disciplined. It doesn't come because you make new resolves plans and schedules for self-discipline. It may help to a degree. It doesn't come from loathing our own lack of self-discipline or resolving to do it better next time. And this time we mean it. The power for self-discipline comes from the prize, the thing that we want the most, believing that it will yield the greatest pleasure. When, listen to this. When we waver concerning our resolve It's actually our willpower that is overriding self-discipline because your will always obeys your wants. And if you set out to do something, you say, I'm going to live a disciplined life. I'm I'm going to establish a prayer life and a devotional time in my life. And you set up a plan. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to read, you know, two chapters a day. And I'm going to commit to fasting something, you know, one day a week. And I'm going to, I'm going to pray five, eight minutes a day. I'm going to get this discipline going in, in my life. What happens is when that, if that falters, it literally it doesn't mean that you're not disciplined. It means that your discipline or your will overcame that. Let me explain how that happens and what I mean by that. Our will always obeys our wants. Our real wants, not our fantasy wants, our real wants are based on real beliefs, not fantasy beliefs. It is in the quest to be more self-disciplined, what you need is not more willpower, but more reward power. Jesus could endure what he endured and forego exercising power that he could have demonstrated for the joy that was set before him. Foregoing what he would probably have wanted now. In fact, we know there were moments where he had felt that in his humanity when he was praying in the garden, sweating it, the Bible says, great drops of blood. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this pass from me. If there's any way for me to get what I want at the moment without messing up the plan long-term, then I would love to be relieved at this moment. Nevertheless, Not my will, but thine be done. Look at your neighbor and say, I am glad Jesus was disciplined to endure what he endured for the sake of the greater plan. 
That's why you're here today because he had that conversation in the garden and ended that conversation by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Had he not powered through that moment with the discipline, the power of God working in his life toward clarity of vision, had he not had that level of discipline in his life, you wouldn't be here today. It's not more willpower, it's more reward power. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may obtain it. Everybody's running, but some get distracted by the pain of the moment, by the exhaustion of the moment. Paul goes on to say in the rest of chapter nine, he talks about the one who, who wins the prize. The only one who wins the prize is the one who doesn't take his eyes off the goal. This is written by the guy who said, forgetting all those things that are behind me, this one thing I do, I reach forward and I press for the prize of the high calling of God. This was Paul, incredibly disciplined. So again, say it with me, the clarity of vision or reward produces greater discipline. Luke 16.10. Here's, I'm going to give you five things, I think. Four things, five things. Tell them I'm not done preaching. Luke 16.10. Say, what do I, how, how do I, I want to, I want to, I want to be, I want to be disciplined. Well, just wanting to be disciplined doesn't bring you into this level of discipline. What I mean by discipline, you know, listen, I've made this statement before, several of these kind of statements. We seem to have lost the ability in, in, in today's world. Where, where, is the, where, where are the people that made a decision about something and it's done? Never going to have to come back and make this decision again. Never going to have to entertain this again. I made a decision. I pulled the trigger and it's done. Right? Where, where, where are the people? The people of God should be the people that show that kind of resolve. Because the world is full of people that make decisions and they make those kind of resolve. I will never do that again. For the rest of today at least. They wake up the next morning feeling differently in a different mood and the decisions they made the, the day before don't matter. When I say discipline, I mean you, get, you say, I'm going to read a chapter in the Bible a day. I'm going to pray 8 to 12 minutes every day and I'm going to do this and, and so And you do it. And six months later, after the time of New Year's resolutions are over, you're still doing it. You power through those moments where vacation and friends coming over and guests in the home and, and you know, under the weather and rain and this, all this other stuff, all these things pull you off track. You weather through all of that because you know that when you live the kind of life where you're in the word every day and you're in prayer every day and you have worship time every day, there is no place your life can go but vertical. So I could just walk off the stage by reiterating this point. I won't because I got three more to make. But I could just reiterate this point, And that is if you want super discipline in your life, 
Go to your closet of prayer and say, God, don't let me walk out of this closet until you bring clarity to what you have called me to do. Give me a sense of order. Give me a sense of purpose. Give me clarity of where my life is going, what you would have me do. Because that births discipline. Luke 16, 10. Here's what you can do. Pay attention to creating order in small things. It is impossible to live in a world of chaotic clutter and maintain order and discipline. Can't do it. Not for long term. Because you'll either clean it up or you'll lower your standard. But you won't live with that kind of constant conflict. You can't be a person who wants to have a healthy, God-honoring, wholesome, fulfilling marriage and hang around bitter, unforgiving, resentful people day after day after day. One thing is gonna change, either Either you're going to straighten them out and you're going to make some things very clear. Listen, listen, hold on, man. Okay, your, your horrible experience, I'm going to pray for you and I'll help you walk through that if you'll allow me. But your horrible experiences are not going to dictate my experiences, all right? I don't call my wife my old lady, so stop it. Why did it get quiet on that one? Every husband you should have screamed almost till you lost your voice. Amen. Preach, Pastor Steve. You can't live in this conflict indefinitely. One, one or two things has to give. Pay attention to the small things, punctuality, health, patterns in your life. If you and your spouse are constantly fighting and there's tension and war in the home and you come to this altar and God breathes upon you and you get inspired and it's real, it's legit. God, God shifts some things in your life. If you go home and still continue in the patterns of just being a sarcastic person, you always make these little snide remarks, always got to pick at each other over silly stuff. How many of y'all know that you will not be able to sustain the magical moment that God gave you to be able to elevate the quality of your life and home and relationship? And some of that stuff is not the devil. It's just being disciplined. Think, 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 think about how happy you want your life to be. Think about how how much you, you want to glorify God in your marriage. Think about what you want your home and your family to look like 10 years down the road. Just argue for the sake of arguing. Stop it. Look at the person behind you. Don't look at the person next to you. It's probably your spouse. Look behind you and say, he's talking to you. Right? Listen, you and I, there's, not, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest, you know, like sin and debauchery and, and, and that, that when I say clean it up. I'm just talking about, listen, every one of us, we are capable of going home and in the, in the blink of an eye, we can do it if we want it bad enough. The problem is not discipline or lack of it. The problem is, is we've not given enough time and, and thought and prayer to the goal, to the, the, the vision, to the reward We could clean up some of the sloppiness in our lives in one night. We could go home and say, listen, I'm just going to stop doing that to my spouse. 
Gonna stop doing that to my husband. Gonna stop picking. Stop criticizing. Discipline. Coping mechanisms. You get a little stress. How many of y'all know people handle stress all kinds of different ways? Some people get stressed and they go spend money they do not have. Okay, well, guess what you just did to your stress? Some people just eat and they eat when they're not hungry and they eat beyond being full. They just keep eating. It's coping mechanisms. You can change that. You can change that. Get your eyes off the challenge of the moment. Get your eyes on the joy that has been set before you. You can develop a better work ethic. Proverbs 13, 4 says this. He, uh, the soul of a lazy man desires but has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. The undisciplined person, the sloppy person, can have desires and want the same thing the person next to them wants, but they will not get it. But the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Manage your life IQ. Everybody know what your life IQ is? It's your ability to be aware or to know the difference between the things, people, places, patterns, habits that are constructive, that are moving you in the right direction and knowing the things that bring you away and distract you and take you away from, from the desired goal. We all have the ability, most people will, will wake up at the end of the day and look back and go, ooh, man, I see what that did. I should, have, should not have done that. Yeah. Right? Thank God for at least that much, but that's a low or maybe barely average IQ. Not intelligence, life IQ. It's not enough to look back and, and see the destruction that something has created in your life and then go, oh, I see what I did. It's having the ability to look around in a neutral moment and go, listen, before this erupts, that's, uh, that is clearly not going to be good for me. That's not gonna move me in the right direction. Neither is that. Neither is this person that stays grabbing a hold of my, my leg and I, I keep dragging them along. They won't get up. They can get up, but they won't walk. Right? Know your life IQ. Know the, abil- your, the ability to know I said it, patterns and so forth. And then allow the disappointment to attach to the leading things. I'm going to close with this. Look, iPad off. Let's say you have a challenge. Let's say you've got an area of failure, uh, uh, even you know, a, 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 some kind of stronghold in your life. Uh, let's, say, let's say because you know, it used to be just a man issue. It's not just a man issue anymore. It's a man and a woman issue. But let's say, let's say pornography. Everybody just say amen. <laughs> if you all say amen together, nobody looks guilty. I'm teasing. But let's say, say we go about this the wrong way, or we don't go far enough, I should say. Listen, let's say, you know, when, when, when you give yourself to that and you indulge in observing those things, the outcome of that is it, it leaves you in a moment of shame, guilt, unfulfillment, 
God, why did I do that? I said I wouldn't do that. I even raised my hand Sunday and declared victory over that. Why, why, right? Are we feeling godly sorrow? Yeah. The problem is, is we don't allow ourselves to feel what God feels in the process when there's been this lack of discipline. Because nobody just stays here and we're like talking and high-fiving and praying with one another and then walk outside and turn your computer on and jump into pornography. There are always things that lead into, you know, ungodly behavior. Right? We live, first of all, it's recognizing we live in a pornographic world. Never mind the websites, never mind this, this, that, and the other. We live in a pornographic, you can watch commercials about Burger King, for heaven's sakes, that have pornographic images attached to it. Now listen, if, follow the logic here, the spiritual logic. If A leads me to B, and B leads me to C, you follow me, come on? And C gets me to D, and the next step is I'm, 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 I'm pulled all the way into it and God is grieved over that, then don't you think that God is equally aggrieved when I go to point A? And the more you let yourself understand that, listen, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to just wake up and feel the grieving heart of God when you have let yourself be enslaved and indulge in something so uh, belittling before you feel the sorrow of God or before you feel the disappointment. If that disappoints God, then looking at a, 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 an Instagram account grieves the heart of God. Without having to clarify, you know what I'm talking about, right? Don't go home and cancel your Instagram. I've got Instagram. We all got Instagram. I'm talking about looking at images and liking them and what have you and swiping, you know, back and and looking at stuff that clearly is going to, you, you, you look at enough of those and it's going to take you to C and that's going to take you to D And you know, we just, look, follow the pattern of of years and years. You're going to get swallowed up in something that's going to leave you feeling shame, feeling regret and remorse and God, why? I got to change that and whatever. If you could be disciplined enough to say, let's stop, stop right here, right here. Point A, before I got to wake up and, and I've lost ground in my life. Before I've gotten closer to disappointing and dishonoring and violating the people in my life. Before I get that far, right here. Stop right here. Right? Now that's all through. It doesn't matter whether pornography or any other kind of, of thing that just seeks to suck in and enslave the people of God. You keep your eyes on the fact that, listen, God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free so that he can elevate every area of your life. He can pour things into your life that your eyes haven't seen, your ears have not heard. 
I believe that God has, there's, a, there's an anointing in the place because I know that it's, it's attached to this word. There's an anointing in this house today that will help you and give you the strength to really shore up some areas of sloppiness in your life. I believe that's what God's gonna do for us as we close here tonight. Amen, amen. I'm done, stand to your feet. Join me around the front, would you, just for a few moments. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh. Oh. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Y'all look, everybody's coming for you. It looks so sober tonight. Come on, smile. Everybody come to the front, smile. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, now listen. How many of y'all, let's put some legs to this. How many of y'all, there, there are, boy, I probably set that up wrong. Everybody kind of think that's what I'm talking about. I, I use pornography as an example. Forget that. Put that in your mind. But how many of you have besetting? The Bible calls them sins, and then it calls them weights. Weights and sins. Just things that you know. It consistently it takes you, veers you off track. It's not going to result in God writing ink about over your life and rejecting you and casting you into a lake of fire. But it slows you down makes you lose ground and you have to just work twice as hard just to regain ground don't you want to get to a place in your life where every step you take you are conquering and you are gaining and you are growing rather than just every time you get a spurt of inspiration you're recovering what you lost right and you know the things that are contribute to you experience in those moments where it's like, doggone it, I should have stopped. I should have not gone there. I should have not connected with that person. I should have stayed away from that place. Now here I am. I know God still loves me. God still has a purpose for me. But I feel like I was, I was all the way around the track. And now I'm back at the starting line. And you know what those things are, right? How many of you have, you, you know some of those things. It's just, maybe it's just an attitude. You don't know how to deal with a besetting or, be, or, or a defeating attitude. Even thought processes, they have these markers. You don't just, you don't just, you know, listen, right? You don't walk out of here and, and have experienced the presence of God. Follow me on this. I'm, I'm helping somebody right now. I know it. You don't stand here and have an encounter with God, right? And walk out there, and before you reach your car in the parking lot, and stick your key in the door. Or who has that anymore, right? Hit the button. Hit the button and think, I'm horrible. I'm no good. I'm unlovable. I'm, uh, and all of a sudden, you're just overwhelmed with this inferiority complex, this insecurity. It doesn't happen that fast. Some of you need to disconnect from people who make you start thinking that way. The discipline. Well, they're, but they're, they're, they're my, my, you know, I'm dating myself. I said, <laughs> you know, I don't know people say homeboy anymore, homegirl. They're my dog. Still not cool. <laughs> you don't know what they say either. Come on now. 
right. You, you, you know, but they, they've been, I know, but, but look where they keep bringing you. And until you're strong enough to be the one that changes them, you got to separate. Discipline will make you forego what you may want now so you can have what you most want down the road. They're people that are no good for your life. They're not terrible people. God still loves them and he's got a plan for them. And God's got more ways to take care of them just you, than just you being the one to reach them. You're not the savior of the world. You do your part when you're led by God. But God has other people that are stronger that will help them. We're talking about you and being able to make progress in your life. Places you say, you got to say, listen, I'm not going there anymore. Nothing good ever comes out of it. I'm not going to hang around that person and have that kind of conversation anymore. Nothing good ever comes out of it. I'm not going to watch that television show. Nothing good ever comes out of it. Here's the deal. There's no four-step formula that I threw out to you tonight. The Holy Spirit, here's what I want, here's what, I, here's what I'm asking God to do, is, is for God to just give you such greater clarity concerning where it is that you're going and what he has planned for your life. If you're a married couple in here, I pray that God enable, when you lay your head on the pillows and I pray that you can see yourself as clear as day sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair with no teeth and you're 95 years old and sitting right next to you is that spouse, the one you have right now. You're holding hands and thanking God for how good he's been to you in your life. Because if you can see that clearly, then you can resist fluttering eyelashes. I'm not going any further. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You can resist all that silliness. Because of the joy that sets be, is set before you, you can endure some shame and take some ridicule. And I'm pre, pre-preaching. You, you understand what, I, what I'm getting at tonight. It's my prayer. Lift up your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God. Lord, concerning people's ministries, concerning their marriages and families, concerning their careers, concerning the, 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 the path that you have called them to, concerning their role as parents and grandparents, I pray, God, that you would just breathe upon every person in this place tonight and grant to us such a higher level of clarity and vision uncommon to anything we've ever had before. We walk out of here knowing better than we knew when we came in This is what I'm going for. This is the prize that I am running for. I'm not just running in a race. I want the prize. I'm not just trying to stay married and avoid divorce. I want a home that is the envy of everybody that looks at it. It Says, holy smokes, what do those two people do? How can they have that kind of marriage? I want that kind of marriage. In the name of Jesus.